Sketch 22 of Zora Boys at Home and Abroad, or How to Succeed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Zora Boys at Home and Abroad, or How to Succeed, by William Alexander McKay. Sketch 22. Captain John M. Ross or a Zora boy leading in the fight for queen and country in South Africa. I am no lover of war, with all my soul I hate it. At the same time, I am not an advocate of peace at any price. There are doubtless occasions when a nation has as good a right to defend itself against invaders as the head of a family has to defend his household against midnight robbers and assassins. When Kruger and Stein issued their insulting ultimatum, invaded British possessions, and shot down British subjects in South Africa, would it not have been criminal as well as cowardly in the mother country not to defend her people? The justice of the war appealed to British subjects everywhere, and soon the colonies were represented by 20,000 soldiers on the field of battle. Never did Highlanders respond more promptly or cheerfully to the call of the fiery cross than did the people of Canada on this occasion to the demands of British loyalty. And Zora was not last. In the person of Captain John Monroe Ross, she gave one of her bravest and most patriotic boys to fight for queen and country in Africa. Jack, as he is familiarly known, is a typical Canadian boy bright, intelligent, self-reliant, resourceful, fond of sport, and, although never posing as a saint, was always true to his convictions. While quite young, he was appointed secretary of Knox Church Sabbath School, Embro, the duties of which he discharged with fidelity and efficiency. Never was his place in the family pew unnecessarily vacant, Sabbath morning or evening. He was kind-hearted, gentle, and devotedly attached to his mother. Do these qualities not lie at the very basis of true bravery? History tells us of the heroism of Havelock's saints, and how Lord Clyde on one occasion asked his officers to pick out the bravest men from his small army before Delhi to form the forlorn hope in a desperate attack. It was on a Sunday evening. The reply was, There is a prayer meeting going on now in the camp, if you go there, you will find all the bravest men. The following brief sketch of Captain Ross's career will, I hope, be of interest to readers of this book. He was born in West Zora on July 2nd, 1877. He comes of a good military family, his father being Captain D. R. Ross, and two of his younger brothers at present holding commissions in the Oxford Rifles. He is closely related to the Gordons of military renown, of whom Captain Gordon of Embro is a worthy representative. He received his early education at the Embro Public School. His teacher writes me, quote, He was an apt pupil, quickly grasping anything which was before the class. The mechanical part of his work was always executed in a very short time, and it required no little ingenuity on the part of his teacher to devise employment for him. End quote. From 1891 to 1895, he attended the Woodstock Collegiate Institute. Here he showed marked ability in composition, 
frequently writing essays for boys of his form, to whom this part of college work was a burden. For some time he was district correspondent of the Sentinel Review, and his humorous descriptions of local matters, particularly municipal politics, attracted considerable attention. This literary talent has since been well developed, as the readers of his graphic letters from South Africa know. He was always fond of outdoor sports, and was the champion player in the Collegiate Institute hockey team. He is also a lover of horses, and his fearlessness and presence of mind in managing a spirited team on more than one occasion saved his life. Several times he was in a runaway, when almost everything behind the horses was smashed with the exception of himself. This same good luck followed him into South Africa. Writing after the Battle of Partiburg, he says, quote, The bullets came pretty close together. It was my first time under fire, but I wasn't nervous, though I could not help ducking my head when something went ping right past my ear. Bullets make about a dozen different sounds, and as we lay on the sand that morning, we had a great opportunity to enumerate them all. I had about fifty narrow escapes. In fact, it was a close shave all day. I was behind a little knoll with a couple of my men, and we put in a bad half hour. About three boars evidently had us marked. We dug holes in the sand and got head protection, but if we moved a muscle of our bodies, we got a volley." In the above quotation, Captain Ross speaks of being under fire for the first time, but a fellow student at the Collegiate recalls an occasion when, on Halloween, Jack and a few of the boys sallied forth to celebrate the night in the customary way. A householder, who expected some such visitors, was prepared, and when the boys got well started, discharged a shotgun loaded with peas around their legs. Jack and his companions beat a more hasty retreat than we have ever heard of Canadian boys doing before the fire of the Boers. In 1895, young Ross matriculated into Toronto University and attended one year as an arts student. Then for two years, he engaged in the milling business with his father. His mind was, however, set on completing his university course, and with this purpose in view, he studied during the session of 1898-99 to in McGill College, Montreal. Unselfish and obliging, he was extremely popular with his fellow students. The newspapers have told us how, on the occasion of his passing through Montreal as a member of the first contingent to Africa, his old fellow students, recognizing him, shouted, Here he comes! Hurrah for Jack! And forgetting all military rules, rushed forward, seized him, and carried him shoulder-high from place to place. I hope, said he humorously, when let down, the Boers won't treat me as rough as that. His military career may be thus summed up. Appointed second lieutenant, provisionally, number two company, 22nd Regiment, Oxford Rifles, under his father, Captain D. R. Ross, in 1896, commanding officer, Colonel Monroe attended Wolseley Barracks, London, and took a course of instruction under Colonel Smith, obtained his commission, and was gazetted lieutenant. In 1896-97, was lieutenant of Embro Company under his uncle, Captain James G. Ross. In 1899, he was gazetted captain, 
and given command of number two company embro in 1899 as already intimated he was one of the first to volunteer for active service in south africa and was appointed lieutenant of b company second battalion rcr under major stewart of london as captain his after history is identified with that of our royal canadian regiment whose daring and dash have won the admiration of the whole world and done more than any other event of recent years to promote the unity of the british empire and to make the name canadian known and honored everywhere captain ross commanded b company during lord roberts's march across the free state and also in the famous battle of Pardeburg, where general cronia with his four thousand men was surrounded and captured the march to Pardeburg was one of the hardest ever recorded in military annals the boys were reduced to half rations while they had to travel through mud and rain without cessation speaking of it captain ross says quote, i never put in such a night in my life it seemed physically impossible to keep awake every little while i would get marshall of c company to shake me until my teeth rattled that did some good it was very dark and we had to stop frequently on account of the transport as soon as halt was given every man dropped in his tracks sound asleep speaking of Pardeburg, captain ross says quote, an action was on when we arrived and as soon as we could swallow a biscuit and some hot coffee we were pushed on end quote. the crossing of the river by means of ropes and in water up to the waist and the fierce and long continued fight afterwards in which the canadians bore such an honourable part are now matters of history which we need not here wait to relate Hardeberg is written large in the diary of zora men captain ross continues quote, the boers surrendered next morning and we were personally thanked by lord roberts i handled the first batch of prisoners and they looked fat and comfortable cronia himself isn't much to see we were the first into the lager and our chaps got flour and rice and all sorts of luxuries i got an elegant mauser carbine and shall try to take it home with me End quote. on may first at thabutton chu captain ross was wounded he says quote, I got a bullet in the ribs and collapsed. Then I rolled behind a stone and bled for about an hour, all the time doing some tall thinking. Riding forty miles over a rough road, stretched in the bottom of an ox wagon, to Bloemfontein Hospital was his next experience. After lying there for some time, he was invalided to England, where, after resting a few weeks, he received permission from the doctors and at once set off to join his regiment in Africa. However, the war virtually came to a close, and the government ceased sending out more soldiers. Captain Ross returned home, and his friends, who watched with pride his career in South Africa, trust he may long live to win even greater honors in cultivating the arts of peace than he and his fellow patriots did as soldiers of the Queen. Zora is justly proud of the presidents, professors, clergymen, lawyers, doctors, school teachers, and successful businessmen she has given to the world, and she has no reason to feel ashamed of her brave soldier boy, Captain Jack Ross. Whatever the primary reference of the following verses, they fit in so well that I here subjoin them. 
Oh, we love our British Empire, and we flaunt her colors free, and we bless our boy to send him to the fighting o'er the sea. He's no absent-minded beggar with a knapsack on his back. He's his country's morning glory. He's our own Canadian Jack. No, he does not hate the foeman, but he loves his country well, and will do his sacred duty in the face of heaven and hell. He has had a praying mother, and he knows the golden rule, and he carries high opinions of the state and church and school. With his bullets and his Bible he is furnished for the fight, and the prayers from home surround him when he lays him down at night. Oh, the front rank in the battle! That is where he longs to be. He will boldly face the strongholds of his country's enemy. End of Sketch 22